after the LSU fallback, A, something kind of snapped, and B, you're seeing young players be such a big part of what they're doing. For crying out loud, look at the offensive line. Like, that offensive line is all sophomore and freshman. For them to be able to do that is, uh, is pretty exciting. For just the second time since the SEC split into East and West divisions, the Georgia Bulldogs have clinched back-to-back SEC East championships. The Dogs traveled up to Lexington, Kentucky to face a Wildcat team and their fans who were just waiting to take that historic first step to earning their first-ever SEC championship game berth. And with a workmanlike approach, Georgia dismantled the Cats' vaunted defense to a tune of 331 yards rushing and a final score of 34-17. to Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you are listening to episode 160 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. This is the Georgia-Kentucky postgame show, our Sunday Skype call, if you will. We had Will Leach and myself here in Athens and caught our other co-host, Tony Waller, somewhere in between Knoxville and Chattanooga on his drive back from the bluegrass where he witnessed the dogs improve their overall record to 8-1. and one. So spend the next 18 or so minutes with us as we share our thoughts on the victory. Here's Will to kick us off. All right, so you may remember from our little rant, my little rant, I suppose, in our preview podcast of, all right, so listen, I know this is a big game for Kentucky, and I know that they've got a lot of momentum, but uh, I really need Georgia to wipe these guys out because they're freaking Kentucky. And uh, after a little maybe halting first quarter or so, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Well, I think you should take a victory lap. You nailed both the halftime and the final score. Tell you what, guys. I have to give Kentucky credit. That uh, atmosphere was the best I had seen for them. They were very excited, and they stuck around until, at least until Rodrigo's last field goal, which I didn't really expect. You know, we talked about the big Blue Nation basketball fans, and there were some of those out there. But for the most part, they showed up and stuck around, frankly, to watch their team get drugged up and down the field. (laughs) I'm not sure if you saw the SP Plus rankings out, but – they came into this game like 78th in offense or maybe a little higher. They came out in 108. <laughs> um, it was, I mean, as, as impressive as our, our, our offense was, our defense was as impressive. We're not quite all the way there, but the levers that Kirby pulled with the exception of inside the three-yard line again, they all worked. So you're telling me that Will predicted correctly the halftime score and the final score? Yeah, you can't prove anything. None of this stuff is is, is preserved for posterity. So I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> I did especially. I mean, you know, I searched through every uh, podcast as I'm editing it for the standout cold open, and it stood out perfectly <laughs> this week. I, I just loved how uh, he came with all the fire on that. So, uh, so thanks for that, Will. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite play of the game was Hardman's opening punt return for 65 yards because that came on the heels of getting a great defensive stop. And then the offense went in and, and punched in like they should with that pass to Nada. I thought that the three phases of the game were executed perfectly and set the tone for how the rest of the game would go. Because you know how we like to talk about feelings during games on looking back to where if you are ever that concerned. And this kind of falls into one of those categories like South Carolina of last year where it was nip and tuck for a while. But I just didn't feel that concerned even with the two, I guess, disappointing I would put it fumbles although you could kind of understand with uh, Trey Hill being there at center uh, how that would happen but having a 14-3 lead at halftime I was pretty comfortable with it and before I in my opening uh, kind of comments I think my uh, MVP would go to coach Sam Pittman on this game because 
that could have been a house of horrors, you know, with your offensive lineman going down, especially with Galliard going out. And yeah, Hill had some moments of getting in there, but that would happen in an NFL game with the backup center coming in. He'd have a bad snap or two. But the fact that the dogs were able to run for 331 yards, have two guys go over 100 yards each, you know, it just proves again that Sam Pittman's one of the best O-line coaches in the country. Yeah, and you know, I, I know it's going to come as a shock to all of you, but uh, uh, Seth Emerson uh, wrote a good piece about this, and uh, he wrote a really great thing pointing out that this is the advantage, right, of playing so many freshmen and playing so many young players is, yeah, at the beginning of the year, it's going to be a little rough. We've seen some of that reference. We saw it at LSU. But once they started to come together and once this thing started to uh, put together, all of a sudden now you're looking like, wait, these guys are all going to be juniors and sophomores next year. And they're going to be seniors and juniors after that. It does feel like they're peaking uh, right now, or at least they're very much on the upward scale. They're the cliffhanger guy. And they're going all up from the Price is Right game. That's what I was the yodeling. I was doing. <laughs> and, um, and so – like that is that's what you want, right? Like this team after the LSU fallback, a something kind of snapped, and b you're seeing young players be such a big part of what they're doing. For crying out, look at the offensive line. Like that offensive line is all sophomore and freshman. For them to be able to do that is uh, is pretty exciting. Yeah, and the the interesting part about it to me is you notice that uh, uh, Patrick didn't start. They put in Crowder and Tyndall uh, and uh, Britton Cox in there. Everyone played better across the the, in the linebacker core, um, and that was again another youth movement that paid off. The thing that really was most impressive to me is that, in kind of echoing what Scott said, is it did not seem ever that Georgia had a moment where we didn't feel like we were in control of the game. I mean, what was it seven three until two minutes left in the first half? But even with that being the case, it. I mean, we just, they weren't doing anything with the football. When they had the ball, they weren't moving it. And we were just shutting them down, even though, you know, we all went back and looked. I was surprised how many first downs they had, the 21 first downs. But they got a lot of those in, I guess, chunks. And the second half, they had that, they had one fairly long drive that resulted in a touchdown. Um, and you, you talk about the youth. It's fun when you see, um, when you see, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to ignite a from a from Fields debate, but when you see Fields come in and they know exactly what they, what he's going to do, and they still can't stop him. Early in the first quarter, uh, DeAndre Walker went out with a foot or ankle injury, and then Britton Cox comes in, plays his position. He goes and goes and gets himself a sack on the quarterback. I mean, yeah, that just kind of yeah. <laughs> echoes exactly what's happening. Then uh, Tyndall, you mentioned him. He also, I think, got the other sack for the Bulldogs. And Tony, how many people? Or how many Georgia fans would you have estimated were there? I think you, in the preview podcast you said it seated about sixty-five thousand. Yeah, it was probably I'd say ten thousand. Uh, the Georgia section obviously was full, and there were pockets of red scattered around the stadium. I mean, there were plenty of Georgia fans out and about. Uh, you know, at dinner on Friday night, and we had a fair number come by the house and tailgate. Emerson actually came by to say hey for a little bit too, and I mean, it was by no means nearly the number we saw in new Orleans, I'm sorry, in Baton Rouge, but it was a, it was a good Kentucky game crowd for Georgia Bulldogs. It seemed like that there was more, I guess, watching it on TV because the thing I noticed, and y'all can go back and watch this, watch Swift's 83, 85, whatever, however far he ran his uh, long touchdown run. 
and then you hear the roars. And if you were just mistaken or if you had your eyes closed, you might not be able to tell that it wasn't maybe a Georgia home game, a a neutral site game. Uh, And it would be surprising if somebody had told you that this was an away game for him because the crowd, it was almost like, you know, the crowd noise when the Braves play the Cubs or the Red Sox and they do something well where you can, you can kind of pause and say, wait a minute, aren't the Braves at home? That's kind of the feeling I got when I, when I saw the replay of that and heard the roars from the Georgia crowds. Now, granted, it was later in the game and maybe some of those basketball Kentucky bros had left like you predicted, (laughs) but it still was impressive uh, to see it on TV. Yeah. And that to me, that swift run was so uh, that to me was the, the highlight of the game. Just say that it, it was fun to see. And we've talked about this a lot. And I'm sure we'll talk about this on the preview show for Auburn, which by the way, I play Auburn next week. Like that's coming up. Um, but the fun thing for me was this was the first time, maybe even Florida game included where you saw a little bit of that last year swagger. Right. Like you saw a little bit of that, like, oh, we're just going to completely take control and completely throttle this game. Uh, Kentucky is not a bad team. (laughs) They're not a bad team. I think this may be the platonic ideal of Kentucky. Uh, And to see Georgia be able to comfortably move the ball on a fantastic uh, defense and to totally shut down uh, that offense was really exciting. It felt like last year, like this was the first time. And again, I know last year is a drug that you're just going to keep chasing and chasing and chasing if you're not careful, but that there were moments that particularly in the second half of this game, you're like, Oh, right. We're awesome. <laughs> we're totally awesome. And this team has no business being on the field with us. And even in the, the games where they've had blowouts this year, Missouri, uh, South Carolina, I think the second half of that was a little like this, but uh, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, uh, there's been these kind of wipeout wins where they've not felt like, oh, Georgia, this is us asserting our will like they did last year. That This was the first game I, I felt like I really felt that. Well, the interesting part of that observation to me is that we have gone back to the identity we had last year, which is we're willing to be in a close ball game, still control you, but be in a close ball game and let our talent and physicality take over in the second half. What we're doing earlier in the season, uh, we were trying to throw the ball downfield more, which I understand why. We really hadn't taken any long downfield shots in the past couple of games. I guess we did try one against Florida. Yeah, the other part about that is that when this team tackles the way it's supposed to and plays defense the way it's supposed to, it is a really, really good football team. Do we belong in the same conversation with Alabama and Clemson? I don't think so, but I think we certainly do belong in the conversation with Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, and I, yesterday bore that out. And because we played a, a, a very good Kentucky football team on the road and we made them look pedestrian which we've been to Kentucky before when we were supposed to be the better team and they made us a pedestrian. And I really like how Kirby smart continues to hammer away the fact that they're not even close to their potential. Uh, You know, every chance he gets, you hear him talk about how, you know, need to get more out of this team. I really think that he's doing a good job with convincing his team and the fans about the expectations, because we all know what's coming the rest of this month and then the beginning of December. And I think what he's doing is setting, he's setting us up for a chance to be surprised maybe a little bit with the way this team could be almost like how they were post Auburn game last year. Maybe they can set the world on fire. If everything clicks funny, the thing that gave me a chuckle yesterday was he had another sideline rage stroke into the, <laughs> the headphones after they didn't score. Did you see that? Will? Yeah, I, I thought of, I thought of you immediately after he uh, just, 
decided to yell at his coaches on the, the headset. So I think he's doing his best coaching job yet. I think there were 13 freshmen that played yesterday, if I counted it up correctly. In comparison view, last year in the Kentucky game, I think only seven freshmen played. And it was a similar score. I think last year they won by 29 and this year they won by 17. So, um, yeah, hats off to Kirby and the way he's handling this team. But that was my favorite moment of the game was the headset meme. Yeah, again, it's embarrassing to see a person that emotional. It's just hard for me to look (laughs) at someone that emotional. It's just like a little bit too much. Uh, That's kind of the thing, though, right? Like, let's not bury the lead here. They won the SEC East. You know, we talked about how I'm sure we'll get into more of this on the preview show, but. The only way this season was really going to be seen as a major step backward is if they didn't win the SEC East. Now, will people be disappointed if they lose to Auburn or Georgia Tech or Massachusetts in the next three weeks? I mean, yeah, of course, it will feel like a step back. But they're going to be in Atlanta against Alabama. That sounds familiar. Two games against Alabama in uh, Mercedes-Benz in a calendar year. That will be kind of interesting. Uh, But that game is happening now. They won the SEC East. And I think, what was the stat? The the only team to win, uh, go undefeated against the SEC East two consecutive years and like since they switched to the uh to the league even though this is florida in a little bit of a period of transition and tennessee in a period of transition uh, i don't think that's something that should be overlooked and i think the important part for georgia fans to think about is that we are back playing with some confidence and part of the hard part about the lsu game is we had two weeks to ruminate and worry about this and we had legitimate concerns and We'll get into whatever happens at the SEC championship game down the road. But, man, Alabama looked really good last night and made an LSU team look not good. And I think we have, as a team, corrected some of the things that led to what happened at the LSU game. But part of what you start talking about at the start, Will, is that this team is peaking at the right time. They're starting to play with the confidence, and they're starting to play – well, they're playing within themselves, too. We're not trying to get over our skis and, and be something we're not. We're perfectly fine running the football. We're perfectly fine moving you moving you out. We're perfectly fine having – I mean, for heaven's sakes, Jake Brown tucked the ball in on an RPO and ran for nine yards in the first down one time. We saw that at the end of the season last year, and that's, our, that's the sort of thing that gives you a little hope as we look at these last three games that, you know, Georgia's still in the conversation for the college football playoff, and – if you'd asked me in August if we were going to be you know, nine and one or, or eight and one and win the East in November third and still in the college football playoff discussion, I'd have taken that. With Georgia winning and with Auburn pulling out a miracle win, uh, go figure. It was at home. Uh, that game's going to be set for seven p.m., which is, I think is great. And um, so, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe. Nah, I'm not even going to say it. Uh, I said it on Twitter. You know already, you want to say yeah, it. I'm not going to say it. The funny thing, Scott, is when we left Lexington, Kristen, Wayne, and Tiffany and I were all talking about, so what's Scott, what's Scott going to do? I was like, oh, Scott's going to be shilling black jerseys. So can, <laughs> I've already tweeted it out, yeah. <laughs> no, but we can talk about this uh, that this coming week, but, uh, but I am glad to see that it's going to be a 7 o'clock kickoff. Uh, tickets um, are really up there. Uh, my dad uh, texted me this morning because he was looking for to get in buying two tickets and he was kind of shaking his head saying, I don't know about this because he sent me a screenshot of StubHub and the tickets in our section were listed for well in the high 200s each. So um, this game is going to be a popular game. But yeah, I think Auburn coming in, it's going to be played at the same date 11 years ago to the blackout game. Uh, November 11th, 2007 was the game versus Auburn where they won 45-21, and they'll be playing Auburn 
on November 10th. I'm sorry. I got that all wrong, but you get the idea. Same, same date on uh, 11 years apart. All right. Well, we've got a preview show to dig into the Auburn game a little bit more, but Hey, they won the SEC East and that's a good day. And also, by the way, just a little side note, cause I will not go into this uh, uh, too much on, uh, in our, in our preview show. Hashtag sink the boat, right? Hashtag sink the boat. Illinois, 55 points on P.J. Fleck and the stupid boat rowing. Hashtag sink the boat. Is that why you tweeted a picture of Lovey Smith's beard yesterday? Well, I I tweet that. That's like I think that may have just been my mind tweeting because I'm constantly just thoughts (laughs) of Lovey. Lovey, That's an evergreen tweet. Yeah, that's just constantly. Always tweet Lovey's beard. 55 points. Hashtag sink the boat. Screw up Minnesota. Screw up P.J. Fleck. Um, Good day of football yesterday. Who who knew the problem was Hardy Nickerson? Yeah, exactly. Uh, did this opera, uh, Hardy Nickerson, man. Um, okay. I don't mean to change the subject real quick, but I saw an amazing stat on Twitter from Tim Reynolds, who's an AP basketball writer. He said yesterday was the first time that Miami, Florida, and FSU all lost on two consecutive weekends ever. <laughs> oh, man, you hate to see such, wow. you hate to see bad things happen to good people, don't you? Sure. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we'll do our preview show uh, uh, Monday night, I believe. Or Monday, yeah, Monday night. We got a Monday night. Uh, Monday, still, yeah, it's going to be podcasting after dark. Podcasting, but the way the way it was meant to be, the way it was meant to be done. Just like there will be footballing after dark. But otherwise, SEC champs, gentlemen, go dogs. SEC East champs. Sorry, SEC East champs. <laughs> go dogs. Go dogs. And thanks so much for listening. The three of us will be back this week with our big Georgia versus Auburn preview show. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them to us via Twitter sometime by Monday evening, say 8 o'clock Eastern time, and we'll address them on our show. Our handle is at WSLS Podcast. We did have a couple of t-shirt orders over the weekend, and if that was you, thank you very much for your order. And they will be mailed out early this week, so you should have them by game day if you want to wear them on Saturday. And that would be preferred and awesome if you did that and that'll do it for this quick post game show georgia is sec east champions once again and it's a night game versus auburn this coming saturday so we'll see you on campus for an all-day tailgate and as always go dogs